this is the uh, second Sunday of the month, and as such, we generally have uh, only one sermon. Typically, we'll have two. We do not come back on Sunday night, as our members here know, but we'll have two sermons and sort of have a lengthier period of worship. And on the second Sunday of each month, we have one lesson, and then we have a period of singing and scripture reading and and prayer to follow that uh, is a little bit more lengthy than what we would normally do on our typical Sunday morning. So I thought it would be appropriate this morning to present a lesson that will hopefully bring to our minds some, some basic thoughts about our public assemblies. And it's interesting that as you read through the New Testament, if you read through the New Testament with objectivity, you will begin to develop an understanding of what the early disciples did when they came together. And that's important. We need to understand, from a biblical perspective, why we are here this morning. I think oftentimes, and and we do this in every sphere of life, we, we, we have certain habits that develop over a period of time that are good habits. But... They're just habits, and they tend to lose their meaning. And in order to really appreciate something that we do, we need to step back and ask ourselves, why do we do this? When did this begin? Why is this important? What should be in my mind as I do this? And to do that sort of exercise with a view toward an objective desire to know the truth, I believe is important. Let's think about what we've done. What have we done since we've been here? What are we going to do in the time that remains? Why are we doing those things? Why did we do what we've already done? Are there reasons for that? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I'm going to spend a good bit of our study time in this particular place, a lot of these questions are answered. And this particular chapter is actually written to address spiritual gifts, miraculous gifts, gifts that do not exist today. Now, some of these non-miraculous gifts that we read about in the New Testament would certainly exist today. But the speaking in tongues, for example, that is something that passed during the first century. But in addressing the issues that existed in this church as well as other churches, we we put those passages side by side, and what we see is what they did. We we see, going back 2,000 years ago, what Christians did when they assembled. And you'll notice the language of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, an assembly is assumed when you assemble. And then he states, let all things be done for edification. And that's where I want to begin our study is looking at the purpose of our assemblies. Why did you get up this morning and come here? Was it a habit? Was it out of a sense of obligation? Nothing wrong with being here habitually. Nothing wrong with being here out of a sense of obligation. But can we drill down a little bit deeper 
and look at what we are really seeking to accomplish whenever we come together at times such as this. And I'm going to begin with that thought of, of edification that we just saw. Now also, I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the first few verses of this chapter. Again, I set, I set the, the stage by saying that he's writing this about speaking in tongues. And that was a miraculous gift that they earnestly desired. And if you think about it, you can understand from a human standpoint why that would be the case. I mean, I've never spoken a foreign language, and I'm just taking my mind back 2,000 years ago. Here I am, a member of the church at Corinth, and all of a sudden, I'm standing up on the Lord's Day, and I'm speaking Spanish, or I'm speaking French. I'm speaking some language that I've, I've never been trained in before. Well, no wonder they desired that gift. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. But he writes to them in these first few verses, and I want us to look at the thought of edification as it comes out of this. He says, To pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, what's the difference between speaking in a tongue and prophesying? Well, if you have the ability to prophesy, you're speaking God's wisdom. You're speaking the truth, but you're speaking it in your language. You're speaking it in a language that everyone there understands. And then in verse 2 he says, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. And then in verse 3, but one who prophesies speaks to men to what end? For edification and exhortation and consolation. When we assemble, we're speaking a common language. And we're doing it for a purpose. And that purpose is to build one another up. It is to encourage and it is to console. We've experienced that this morning. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Now think about that. If you're speaking in a language that no one else understands, you're being edified. But is it about you? You can do that at home. You can edify yourself through study of the Scripture, through prayer, through private devotion, you don't need to be with a group of God's people. You don't need to be in a public assembly to do that. You can do that alone at home by yourself. But one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. There's benefit to that. But even more that you would prophesy, and greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets. So it was possible to have the ability to speak in tongues, but not even understand what you yourself were saying. But if you could interpret, then you could explain to others via the process of interpretation, 
what it was that you were saying. To what end? Look at the verse. Verse 5. So that the church may receive edify. Now in this same chapter, you'll notice in verse 12, after this discussion, he states, since also, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound to what end? For the edification of the church. And then in verse 18 of this same chapter, he writes, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Why? Because it edifies. It exhorts. It encourages. It builds up. So when we assemble, our purpose is to edify. Now in this same chapter in verse 40, Paul writes, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. And if you look back at the preceding verses, you can see how some of that worked itself out in the church at Corinth. But why do we plan our worship? Why do we plan our services? Why not just have a free-for-all? Let's not, let's not have any order. We know what we need to do when we get here. Let's just, let's just all come and just kind of let things happen. Well, that's not edifying. That's not going to encourage. Chaos doesn't help. The organization does. Romans 14 verse 19, we are to pursue the things that make for edification and the building up of one another. The familiar passage, Hebrews chapter 10, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Why? Why is it that I should want to be here? Is it only because I don't want to break a commandment? He gives us the reason in that passage. He gives us the reason why we come together. What is it? To stimulate one another to love and good works. We've done that this morning. Brother Click's announcement about what's going on, the prayer for the benefit of those who have been affected by the storms in Kentucky. We're stimulating one another to love and good works. We're edifying. We're being built up. That's why we come together. That's why we engage in these public activities. And what are those activities? Well, let's take a moment to address that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writing to the church at Corinth once again, he writes to them in verse 23 that I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. How did Paul receive it from the Lord? Paul was not one of the original apostles. He received it from the Lord through the revelation given him by the Holy Spirit, which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now in this chapter, he's addressing an abuse of the Lord's Supper. They were making the Lord's Supper a common meal. Now, it would be easier to do that if, 
if you were bringing your own emblems and you were bringing a bit more unleavened bread than we partake of. I heard one brother say, well, y'all don't partake of the Lord's Supper. Y'all partake of the Lord's snack. I don't think the amount really matters. What matters is what is in your mind. But one thing I have observed through the years, we do a good job making sure we're not going to make a common meal of it. I'm not going to get very full on what I'm partaking in the Lord's Supper. And again, that doesn't matter. What matters is that, that it's the proper emblems and I'm thinking about what it is that I'm doing and I do so with the understanding that this is something that the Lord instituted. It is something that the Lord desires of disciples whenever they come together. And that's why earlier we partook of the Lord's Supper. Now, you also heard Robert earlier make mention of the contribution. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Now, specifically, Paul was referring to the time when he would come to the church at Corinth. There was a need that existed in Judea, needy saints... And he was going to come, he was going to take that collection, he and other brethren would travel to Jerusalem, and those funds would be given to the church, and under the direction of the overseers, they would be distributed to the needy saints. Now again, that's maybe more than you need to know to understand what this particular activity is, but this is something that we do on the first day of every week. And we did it earlier because we're commanded in the Scriptures to do it. And it's an act of worship. We're actually going to see that in just a moment. Another thing that we do is we sing. We've been singing to one another this morning, haven't we? We've had good singing. We're going to have more singing. Why do we do that? Why do we sing when we come together? Can I just sing in the shower? Well, I can sing in the shower. I can sing in the field. I can sing in my car on the way to work. I can sing in the office. I can sing praises to God alone. But there's one thing I can't do alone in my singing. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. Ephesians 5 and verse 19. Paul writes, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now, I can do all of that by myself except speak to you. I can't speak to you if I'm not here. When I sing to you, I'm singing songs that are praising God and in our prayer... Our in our praising God, our purpose is to build one another up. So when we sing, that's what we do. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul wrote in Colossians 3 and verse 16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I can do all of that by myself. 
alone, at home, let's just say it, home alone. But one thing I can't do, home alone, is to admonish you. You can't admonish me if you're home alone. You can only do that when you're present in an assembly such as this. So we partake of the Lord's Supper. We lay by in store. We sing. We've done all of that. But we also pray. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, when Paul was writing to the young evangelist Timothy, he wrote in chapter 2 and verse 8, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Now again, that's something that I can do home alone, and I should pray home alone. But when we come together, we also pray. And as you look at 1 Timothy, and you look at the big picture of 1 Timothy, what you see is that Paul is giving instruction to Timothy concerning matters that would be brought into their public assembly. Just look at the context, for example. In, in verse 9 of 1 Timothy chapter 2, he talks about women adorning themselves with, with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or, or costly garments. He's, he's writing about when they're together. And then he says, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, verse 12, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Well, that's relevant to our public assemblies. That's relevant to our time together. Chapter 3 and verse 15, chapter 3, verse 15, he writes, I'm writing these things so that one how, so you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. He's writing about what you do as a congregation. And then in chapter 4 and verse 13, he writes to this evangelist who is going to be working with local churches, and he writes to him and he says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Well, we did that. We're reading Scripture right now. To exhortation. And teaching. Why do we read scripture? What's the purpose? When you assemble, let all things be done for edification. So these are the activities about which we read in the New Testament scriptures. Verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Why do we have? public preaching. Why do we have Bible class? It's because we're encouraging one another. We're building up one another. We're exhorting one another. We're consoling one another because life's hard. And Satan is everywhere. There are evil influences in the world. And we want to do everything we possibly can when we come together to encourage one another. Encourage one another so that we might be all saved. Now, where do we individually fit into this? We're, we're talking about collective activities, things that we do together. Is there a place for spectator religion? Just sitting back and watching, just letting it happen? Well, I think when it comes to the purpose, as we've seen, edification, 
when it comes to the activities, knowing that we're all individually involved, there's something else we have to drill down to see. Let's take a moment now to do that. The Lord's Supper is a good place to start. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read the passage earlier about the institution of the Lord's Supper, but look at your role. Look at the individual role that every Christian has in verse 27. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. How do you do it in an unworthy manner? Your mind's not where it needs to be. You're not thinking about what you should be thinking about. Verse 28, But a man must examine himself. In so doing, he is to eat of the bread and he is to drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And that's not saying that you are to be worthy of the sacrifice. It's saying that you are to partake of the emblems in a worthy manner which involves self-examination. That's what we do when we partake of these emblems together. Now go back to chapter 14. A few other thoughts insofar as the individual is concerned. Think about this. Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 14. Let one who speaks... Now you really got to think about this. Let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. I said earlier that it was possible based on what I read in the scriptures for one during the first century to be able to speak a language in which they had no training and not be able to understand what it was they were saying. Now just, just imagine you wake up one day and all of a sudden you're speaking Spanish. You can speak it, but you can't understand it. Let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Why? For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. I know internally what's happening. But my mind is unfruitful. I'm speaking the language I don't understand. I know, I know that I'm being operated on by the Holy Spirit. I know that I'm engaged in a miraculous activity, but my mind is unfruitful because I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> kind of got to wrap your arms around that, don't you? Well, let's think about this modern-day example. I was trying to decide what would be a good way to illustrate this. We sing a phrase in a song about the Lord's Supper. Night with Evan Pinion. Night with Evan Pinion. Now there are some people here who know what that means. It carries with it the idea of wings of darkness. But there's a lot of us who don't know what that means. It's about the, the night that Jesus was, was betrayed and about the darkness that was associated with the sacrifice and with the death. Well, when I sing that song, if I'm singing that song, and I'm not 
I'm not slamming you for this because I had to look it up this morning. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, if I'm singing and I'm using words I don't understand, I know that it's a spiritual activity and that's good. But if I can't interpret it, my mind is not fruitful. My mind is unfruitful. And so individually, this is why it's good. I appreciate it when song leaders, before they lead a song that has language that I don't use in everyday communication, they take a moment to explain that. Tell me what night with ebb and pinion means. You know, I don't look outside and say, honey, it's, it's a night with ebb and pinion. It's not something I say every day. So help me understand. And that will enhance my worship. That will enhance my singing. What is the outcome then? Verse 15, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I need to understand what it is that's being expressed in prayer. It needs to go beyond just something I've always said. It needs to go beyond just what we might call Church of Christ prayer language. You ever notice that? You, you can go to church in other parts of the country and we're all saying the same prayer. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. But maybe we need to kind of get out of the comfort zone every now and then and, and, and say things a little bit differently just to shake our own minds up. I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the mind also. You, you see the point that we're making here, verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks? If I'm not communicating in prayer, public prayer, what is understandable to the visitor, how can they say the amen since he does not know what you were saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not what? There's that word again. See it? Is not edified. Now, let's move forward in verse 23. Notice, therefore, if the whole church assembles... Together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter. Will they not say that you are mad? We need to be concerned about the impression we make upon visitors. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is able, he is called to account by all. He's hearing language that he understands. And this is why clear communication and teaching is so important. We want to be able to teach in such a way, not just so that the saved understand, but the unbelievers as well. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God. Look at that. Why do we come together? We have unbelievers who will visit from time to time. We're wanting them to come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. What are we communicating when we come together to that end? We want them to fall on their face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. And there's something else that I can do. You can do individually. You can sing with enthusiasm. You can engage in worship that will have an impact on those who are visiting. 
and I, I'm, tempted, I'm tempted to say, act like you're glad to be here. Don't act like you're glad to be here. Be glad to be here. And sometimes we do have to fake it till we make it. But if I'm not glad to be here, I need to find some reasons to be glad to be here, don't I? 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's, let's take a moment to talk about our giving. Each one, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, when I lay by in store, I'm to do that as I've been prospered. That means I take a moment and I think about what God has given me. And I want my giving to be commensurate with what God has given me. My income doubles. What am I going to do with my giving? Well, that's, that's party for me. <laughs> I got a better life. Well, is there not some place to maybe give some back? If not in a local treasure, just to help other people? I have to engage my mind when I do these things. I need to be thinking about what it is that I'm doing when I do these things. I said earlier that giving is an act of worship. Do you consider it that? And I don't want to be petty, but I, I remember when I was coming to understand some of these things, I, I used to listen and, and the way it was said kind of bothered me at first, you know, the, the statement, well, as a matter of convenience, we've had the Lord's Supper, now as a matter of convenience, we're going to lay by in store. It's almost like this is just something that, that is, you know, it's kind of secondary to everything else that we do. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes about his perspective on the monies that he received from other churches monies that were contributed by brothers and sisters in Christ just like us. And let's look at what he writes about that in, first, uh, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 15. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, since you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Now don't think about a physical bank account. Think about a spiritual bank account. What Paul is saying is, you know, and I feel like, I feel like Joel Osteen here when I'm preaching about this. You know, you just give, give me as much of your money as you can. Paul was telling me about something that happened. Did, did y'all hear about, they got to digging in the walls of the church building out there and found $600,000 of cash. Oh, well, who knows what's in these walls. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. Now look at the language here. A fragrant aroma. Now some people do like the way money smells. I don't particularly. But he says it's a fragrant aroma. An acceptable sacrifice. That's, that's the language of worship. When we lay by in store, it is an act of worship. And it's not just filling out a check. It's putting thought into it. 
It's thinking about what it is that I'm doing. It's considering the fact that God has made me a steward. And I'm giving back a portion as I have been prospered. And I'm happy about it. I'm cheerful about it. Our public assemblies, there is a purpose. Why we're here today. There are spiritual activities in which we engage. And as an individual, I can't be a spectator. I'm not a spectator. Everybody plays a significant, a significant role. Let's just think about these things. Every time we come together, and let's be objective in our study of the Scriptures. Let's, let's go back and let's, let's, let's blow the Bible up if we have to and say, well, let's, let's, are we really doing everything we should be doing? Are we doing it with the right spirit? If we need to make change, let's make change. If we're doing it the way we're supposed to be doing it, let's do it with enthusiasm and, and let's do it wholeheartedly. And now let's go to God in prayer.